Hey, it's co-host Peter Cook. I'm in the woods, enjoying our little break from the podcast. We'll be back with Season 3 on October 5th, but in the meantime, here's my staff pick from the dusty bins of Season 1. Episode 27 of I'd Buy That for a Dollar, Bread on the Waters, featuring guest Stephen Plastic Crime Wave Krakow. Enjoy! I was wondering how long we would get, how long it would take us to get into a semantics discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Not long. (laughs) I don't even like the term collector. I'm just like, don't call me that. (laughs) Don't you call me a collector. Yeah. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman. I'm joined, as always, by my regular co-host, sleepwalking tea descriptivist, Jeremy Ruggles. I will have the green tea. It is good. It is tasty. Tasty. (laughs) Thank you. Tasty. And, uh, of course, uh, construction site sign designer, Peter Cook. That's an art that is still waiting to be appreciated, much like the records we feature on this show. Tying it all together. I think I'm feeling high just being in this place. (laughs) What is this place, and who else is here? This is called The Void. And uh, that voice from The Void (laughs) is our special guest today, who just so happens to be uh, president of the Green Jello fan club. Mr. Steve Krakow. I used to be the president of the Ugly Kid Joe fan club, <laughs> but they kicked me out. So I figured Green Jello seems. Are there any scandalous, scandalous stories from getting kicked out of that? What did you do? What did you I, do? I insisted that Harry Chapin's version of Cats in the Cradle was better. And what did Whitfield Crane say to that? They, they, <laughs> they sent me out of town <laughs> on a on a rail. I don't know why I know the singer of Ugly Kid Joe's name. <laughs> oh my God. This is how you got this this job, basically. Exactly. Right? Yes. That and his uh, wealth of Tupac knowledge. True that. <laughs> uh, Steve, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Besides being a big Three Little Pigs fan. Um, <laughs> right? Was that Green Jello? That was. Okay. Or was it Green Jelly? <laughs> it was Green Jello, but they got in legal trouble, so they had to change it to a Y with a accent over it i had explained it once to my girlfriend she had no clue about any of this i'm like oh you're gonna find out right now (laughs) i once had to sit through a whole vhs of green jello videos wow i've been i've been there anyways what was the question again (laughs) so but aside from from that occupation which we introduced you without what else do you do well it's funny you made up a occupation because I haven't had a day job in quite some time. So I never know what to tell people my job is. I play music and I am mostly an illustrator, usually under the moniker of Plastic Crime Wave. I was going to ask if you, we said your nom de plume. Yes. Uh, most of my artistic things go under that. 
I don't know. I've done a long-running sort of comic information strip in the Chicago Reader for like 15 years called Secret History of Chicago Music. So I'm a bit of a Chicago music historian. And I guess, for lack of a less pretentious word, in a music historian as well. I do a bit of music writing here and there. What is the, the publication that you put out periodically the periodical you put out periodically oh uh, yes i do a magazine for the last 20 something years called galactic zoo dossier that is a sort of hand-drawn start as a fanzine still kind of is but drag city has published it since 2001 and comes all these trading cards and junk and i interview weird old musicians and write up weird old comics i like and um yeah been doing that galactic zoo dossier that's named after an arthur brown album yes it used to be a pretty obscure record and now people know about records now yeah so now there's slight confusion but i got to interview arthur brown i handed him a copy of it and i was like i hope it's cool that i use this <laughs> like back in like 1996 i think is when i started it and he was like oh yes that's fine you know he, <laughs> he, he could care less so i was like shoo that's a big load off you know because you google it and sometimes my stuff comes up before the album and i'm like you know but <laughs> yeah. they reissued it a couple years ago too with the poster oh really yes nice. well, what are you issuing to us here on the pod today well yes who cares what i do let's move <laughs> on <laughs> to harsh. an important record no <laughs> that was harsh against myself i know we're self-depreciating in the Midwest. Everyone knows that, right? That's true. That is our style. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we need beautiful, soft, orchestrated pop records to lift us out of our Midwest landlocked quagmire. <laughs> and, and it's February, the worst month. Yeah. I mean, yep. it's the sun's out at least, right? We're grateful. True. It was February when we recorded this. Oh, Oh, now I got to get rid of all this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll keep it. Edit. February. It's February 29th that we're recording this. Yes, leap year. So yes, that'll bring us to Bread on the Waters. And it's a very West Coasty looking record with what, the sea and sunset and all that. And it looks like it's warm wherever they are. Yes, 70s often categorized as soft rock band Bread on the Waters. But they were so much more than just soft rock. Well, would you like to play a cut to get us primed for all this? Sure, yeah. Let's see. Do we do we launch into the rocker that's going to surprise everyone, or do we ease people in a little bit? Well, that's, that's up to you. You're you're the captain of Let's this. Let's just do this the trip. first cut off the record. Perfect. All right. What's the name of it's that? It's got track? a it's got a little bit of everything. It's a pretty diverse record. From what it I really think. actually it is. There is indeed things you would call soft rock or whatever. But why do you keep me waiting?
does this count as yacht rock or does it does it predate yacht rock is it proto yacht rock is that what we're listening to <sighs> yacht rock the, the yr term i guess if you were to call these guys anything it would probably be soft rock but i really think it's more just like west coast pop of the 70s i mean do people call crosby stills and nash yacht rock i have not heard them see they get a yeah. yeah they get a pass it's it, it's folky hippie topanga canyon rock you know whereas <laughs> which is what i kind of think bread is more or less in, in their diverse thing but sometimes i think the yacht rock term is sort of used to put down some good bands in that it like sort of trivializes you know like people say hollow notes yacht rock ha 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 and it's like no hollow notes are good yeah, you know definitely. it's not something to just it's snicker like about blue-eyed soul it's great blue-eyed soul Darryl yeah. hall's probably one of the best blue-eyed soul singers who ever lived mm -hmm. and it's i know you grew up and just heard the 80s version of it you know but like it's actually good music you know and daryl hall was a cool dude so don't lump it in with loggins and messino so much or like some of these i mean i guess would that typify his lover boy yacht? I mean, I guess as anything, I guess what they're on a yacht and they're like sniffing some coke, wearing a white suit or something, right? Is that what it? That's what it comes from, right? Yeah. yeah. But I, it somehow just become this firm genre, and I, I just, I'll hear even the Me TV, the local radio station, does a yacht rock Saturday night, and I'm like damn it they are playing a bread song and i don't think this is just like <laughs> sky sniffing coke on a boat i think this is actually some good impassioned music yeah well that cut we just heard had some fuzz guitar going on it was pretty it almost almost sounded like something that could have been on nuggets totally i don't think it's that far from that or moby grape or something yeah, like oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah very I, much I don't so. really think it's that far from that and and my man david gates who writes most of their stuff sort of the Svengali of the band he's doing that lead fuzz guitar on that which i didn't know until hmm. i did a little research but he wasn't really the lead guitarist but for that and the other kick-ass rocker on this record he's doing the fuzz guitar he had to step in and do that <laughs> my man gates who sadly he did solo stuff later on that veers very heavily on the ballady side say like eric carmen mm -hmm. and people kind of put him in that ghetto of balladeer but it's like no he actually had a cool rock band just like eric carmen at the raspberries mm -hmm. and you know so for people like me who know literally zero about bread can you give like just a quick primer on like where are they from and like what what year is this it feels very late 60s to me yeah i don't know this is 70 so you know there's always a little bit of a hangover from the decade before and it's 70 through 72 really i guess david gates is originally from tulsa but he was a big player west coast guy i guess he had an early band called the accents with uh leon russell oh really yeah like young young leon when, when he was using his other real name i guess and uh he was i think he wrote a big smash hit when he was really young called uh, Popsicles and Mermaids. That was kind of like an instrumental type or like girl group hit. So he was kind of like a, a young wonderkind. I mean, I kind of would put him in almost with like a Brian Wilson kind of guy because he was he was doing stuff with Brian, with Phil Spector and stuff. And he was really young and he was he wrote stuff for the monkeys. He, he was kind of like doing a lot of stuff early on. And then I think he had kind of this very clear, very melodic vision and i mean i guess some people say bread is just like him and some guys or whatever but 
Another guy in the band was in the Sunshine Pop band, the Pleasure Fair that he produced. You know, I think people kind of saw them as sort of like maybe this sellout thing of the early 70s. Again, CSN gets a pass, Bread doesn't. But, you right. know, just guys wearing <laughs> denim, singing these kind of like laid back songs. And, and their hits veer a bit on the... The worst, I would say, saccharine. Yeah, that's the you word. Know? <laughs> yes. Okay, baby, I'm a want you. There's the first big hit on this record is Make It With You. Yeah. Which you, you did recognize. Yeah. And I think it's a nice song, actually, but it's it got a lot of rotation and the moms probably cried to it and such, you know. I got a little misty. I won't it, lie. It's a misty <laughs> one. Yeah. But Bread didn't last all that long. They just lasted to really to the early 70s and had a couple reunions and there was a, some lineup shakes and shakeups too. But, you know, they were a commercial, radio-friendly, veering on the soft, California breezy side of pop. I'm sure that you'll probably talk more about uh, some of the stuff in David Gates' resume as we go because there's some very interesting stuff in there that people would probably not expect to how long was Brett around though as a band? I think they only made it until like 76, 73, and then they reformed a couple times. Okay. Yeah, because he went solo in 73. Yeah, they played their last show at Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, Utah, <laughs> May 1973. But then I think, yeah, there there were a couple reunions here and there, but he had a pretty successful, yeah, 76, they, they did another record, okay. actually, they came back. And I kind of think in a perfect world, he would even be at least as beloved as like a terry melcher kind of guy or something like that as a sort of svengali of melodic pop or um oh what's his kurt betcher or like one of those oh yeah from the millennium yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he's i think because of how popular a select certain style of songs his were he gets lumped in a totally different category definitely well is there another track we should sample all right what's we'll we'll do a we'll do a softer gate actually i think this song's sort of like I'd call it rural acid folk, <laughs> but um, I don't know if everyone would agree with me. I've definitely heard records that sound like this for go for like a lot of money. Right, but right. Um, let's do a side two first track. Uh, I want you with me, and that this is one I always would put on mixtapes for people, and they'd always be like, "Damn, it's pretty cool, actually." Clear as it can be 
You had mentioned earlier that you've heard records that sound similar to this that go for big money. And uh, I think that's such an interesting concept. I think that's one of the most common things I hear at record shows from some of the old heads who've been selling vinyl for a long time is just this idea that, yeah, rare records are cool. and There's some awesome, obscure stuff with interesting stories that go for hundreds, thousands of dollars. There's also plenty of dollar records that are literally just as good. I mean, I saw you guys did uh, I Love You Jimmy Spheris. Uh, Jimmy Spheris. Yes. Yeah. And like, from what I understand, there's a heavy tale behind that record. I, I think it can be just as interesting for mm-hmm. sure. And mm-hmm. I don't think value equals, I mean, it's all based on rarity. I mean, I've heard records that go, for, you know, it's like, oh, it's the rare, the, I mean, the rarest Vertigo record is like this band Ben that's like jazz fusion. And when I heard it, I was just like, this is the one that's worth like thousands of dollars. <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, it's not totally my thing, you know? And I was like, it's okay for what it is, but it's just rare. Yeah. You yeah, know, definitely. Yeah. Obviously, it's uh, quality of the music is a very subjective thing. And I guess rarity is to an extent, but it can be quantified a little bit more. <laughs> so that's why that happens. But then there's ones that are pretty common, but just command more value than others due to, you know, artist recognition, name. And yeah, for whatever reason, David Gates, despite some of the people he worked with and some of the things he did, he just hasn't quite gotten there yet. It's not, not there. I, I couldn't find my copy of Van Morrison Moondance the other day. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I lost it somehow. And I'm like, I guess I'll just go get a new one for like $5. And guess what? It's $25 now, you know? And I was like, dang. So Van, he's, he's up there, you Mm -hmm. know? And he Mm -hmm. should be, he should be. He's one of the greats, but Gates ain't there. Well, I mean, also, is there more copies of this record out there than Moondance? I don't think so. There's probably just as many. They both had mega hits. Actually, Moondance probably has more mega hits on it. Yeah, it has Caravan and Crazy Love and the title track and... I don't know if In It Stone Me was one, but that's a lot of songs that people know right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that was, I used to pass it up at the thrift store like every crazy, you mm-hmm. know? It would just be like a moon day. Same with Fleetwood Mac rumors, rumors, rumors. It would be copy after copy of it at the thrift store. And that's a $20, $25 record now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, like within just the last few years, yeah. it's gotten to that point. Yeah, I remember buying Tusk for 50 cents a dollar. Yeah, nobody wanted that one. Uh, <laughs> I still wasn't sure anyone did. That's enough I, I like Fleetwood it. Mac, guys. What happened okay. to David Gates? <laughs> what happened to him? Why All isn't right. he famous? <laughs> so I, I did have one question about this album. Was Bread a solidified band where they were the ones recording all the stuff on the record or was the studio musicians working with David Gates? They were a real group as far as I know. I mean... I know, I mean, it's funny you say that because I know one member was replaced with a member of the Wrecking Crew later on. Well, was, La- was Larry say, like he, yeah. He was buzzed with Brian Wilson and Leon Russell. Like, he had to be traveling in that Wrecking Crew circle and most yeah. of that West Coast stuff of that time period and the sound was, like, all Wrecking Crew. Well, I did notice, too, that he doesn't write every song on, on the record, too. Um, James Griffin, the lead singer guy, is, is is writing quite a few. So we shouldn't even say just Gates here, you know. But I, I got a little thing for Gates, and I think he deserves more props. And I even like his soppy soft rock solo stuff. I feel like I'm on a crusade. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, this first record, he's co-writing a lot with people. And then, I mean... He is writing the best tunes on the record. I will say that. Did he produce this album, did you say? Yes. He did produce it. Because he had been doing production work for years before this, right? Yes. 
Yes. I really liked on that last track we heard that when that acoustic lead came in about halfway through, it was very upfront, like kind of almost unexpectedly for an acoustic lead. And if anyone else, I think Sean kind of glanced at me. Yeah, there, there was a few points where you think you know where the song's going and there'll just be this little element that jumps in for a second. It's a little bit louder in the mix to kind of make it interesting and take a few slight turns. It was, I liked it. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a dreamy, rural, slightly countrified thing, which I feel yeah. like people are a little more open to now. But I threw out relatively clean rivers. It's not that far from that very rare record, or I mean, it's really not that far from like American Beauty era Grateful Dead or something like that too. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, which is a little more deified perhaps than Brett. Actually, most dead fans would be horrified if you compared them to <laughs> Brett. I think because they're seen as a very commercial, not hippie band. You know. I saw a recent Hard Times article that was something along, along the lines of uh, Grateful Dead fans shocked to learn there are other bands in yes. existence. <laughs> that was like me and the Doors in junior high. <laughs> I was like, Doors, 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 bootleg, Doors, Doors, Doors. And then I was like, maybe I should check out some of the other bands like from their scene. And I was like, Love. Love. Oh, Moby Gray. Oh, you know, just West Coast stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, there's more out there. There's a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. I think uh, <laughs> Arthur Lee is responsible for the Doors getting signed to Electra. Yeah, he regretted it later too. Really? He th- well, he thought they were going to jump to another label and he was like, here, I'm going to hook, I'm going to like make it easier for you and here's a new rock band for you. So he could be off the hook it didn't work out with the other label and then they had to come crawling back and they didn't care about them because their doors were blowing up so hard. So he kind of created a monster. Mm, that's unfortunate. And that's, I mean, obviously forever changes is a revered record, but it's still more of a, it, it's a kind of a little more esoteric than anything the doors did or a little more under the radar. Yeah. And, and People should... say the soft parade was an attempt to sort of mimic it, but I don't know if that's really true. They yeah. were trying sweets and, strings and all that stuff i could see it but because supposedly jim loved arthur lee you know Mm -hmm. but i don't know if it's true what about david gates though (laughs) (laughs) well uh do we want to play another track and then uh is there another selection you'd like to play and we can come back and talk more about david gates because there's still a big detail i want to get to oh i know well okay here maybe this will this will make that seem more relevant so here's the unexpected rocker on there i guess if anyone bread is compared to is csn which i threw out a couple times the harmonies you can hear a little bit of the graham nash and Mm -hmm. stuff but i personally think this rocks harder than any csn song i've ever heard and it's called blue satin pillow which doesn't really sound like a song that would rock i think that's side one track three are we allowed to swear on this podcast i call this one a shit kicker (laughs) i call this some shit kicking rock
I did preview this once you told us that this was going to be your selection, and I had a pretty strong feeling you were going to feature that one. (laughs) (laughs) That one is just uh, above and beyond. I feel like it's just going into territory I I never would have expected expected to hear on a bread album. I I didn't expect it either when I bought it. I remember I was like, damn, it's like Wicked Fuzz and that's Gates doing those fuzz leads again on that one. And that one to me really has kind of like a Moby Grape feel or something like that or it sounds like a couple years earlier or something. Yeah, almost, like 67, you know? 68. I, this might have been recorded earlier. I'm not sure, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, definitely has that SoCal late 60s vibe yeah, on tracks like There's like a that. jaunty unpolishedness that I wouldn't have expected from the very little I knew about Bragg coming into this. So There you go. You got to I think this one uh, on the waters from what I've been able to experience like their most diverse album like as far as like sort of covering all the bases like actually the after this is still side one the two or three songs after this i swear they're kind of proggy there's like keyboards and sort of like a lot of tricky changes probably because he was an arranger songwriter guy you know for many years and stuff yeah it just kind of goes all over the place so who are some of the artists that he had worked with either prior to this or after i know you're dying for this one yes he (laughs) produced is it the first Captain Beefheart single? It's the A&M Sessions. Well, yeah. it's what, what they're now known as, the A&M Sessions. Right, right. Diddy Wah Diddy, I believe, was David Gates. Yeah. And there's a number of other songs from those sessions. And I remember, is it Doug Moon? Was he a member of the band, uh, the Magic Band early on? Hmm. I remember him in the Beefheart documentary that I believe the, D- the BBC did that when A&M were first picking up the magic band that they really kind of wanted to push them in that David Gates and bread direction. Wow. Just, you know, wasn't going to fit. And I think there's some remnants on the first proper beef art album, safe as milk. That's the most commercial one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I I had known that Gates had uh, produced that. Uh, Who else did he do around that same time though? Who else had he produced? Let's see. I know it's a pretty diverse, uh, cast from what from what i remember well so yeah i guess his his early band the accents backed chuck berry really so throw that into the mix you know in like 1957 oh wow you know so that that's an interest in an interesting one pat boone <laughs> <laughs> so then he, he went from chuck berry to pat boone to captain beefheart basically yeah popsicles and icicles that 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 was his first big hit wrote songs for the monkeys elvis heard of that guy Bobby Darren, oh yeah, Glenn Yarbrough, which I guess was a, actually a pretty big hit, Baby the Rain Must Fall. See, got around. Yeah. I think that was most of his early stuff. Pre-bread. Pre-bread. And what did he do post-bread, aside from solo work? Because he... Okay. I, As far as I know, he pretty much... Oh, I guess... <laughs> I guess Jack Jones recorded a Bread tribute album, Bread Winners, in 1972. <laughs> What weird pretty and, early on yeah that that is actually Brad actually it looks like, oh yeah and telly savalas had a hit with one of their songs too <laughs> if in 75 i think just in the uk <laughs> so that is interesting i mean as far as i know he really only had the the solo career oh he recorded a duet with melissa manchester that's weird 
Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, he only had the the solo career, but he he might have gone on to produce some stuff. I'm I'm not sure. Actually. Yeah, I guess I just wasn't really sure if it, his name sort of seems to disappear from the conversation 80s and beyond. Yeah, it looks like 81 is his last record. Come home for Christmas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So I think he's still with us, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think David yeah. Gates has passed along. No, yeah, he's he's like eighty. Yeah, if he was, yeah, playing with Chuck Berry in fifty-seven. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's he's still with us. I just think he maybe he retired after that and probably was doing just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he maybe invested well and yeah, just sitting on that pile of bread. Sitting on his yacht. (laughs) (laughs) No, no yacht. Maybe he does. Maybe he has one. I wouldn't be surprised if he had one. Well, if we've, uh, I don't know if we want to say anything else about David Gates or bread, or if there's anything else. uh, He's been married to his same wife since 1959. Okay, so not your usual rock star. Oh, he went into uh, the cattle ranching business. What? He lives happily with his wife in Mount Vernon, enjoying his retirement. Wow. Very nice. All right. But yeah, it looks like he uh, he studied the cattle ranching business while touring with bread, purchased a 1,400-acre cattle ranch financed by royalties he earned with the group. Nice. So I think he, he did okay for himself. Yeah. He's living <laughs> the dream, I guess. Yeah, I don't think he blew it on like drink and drug, like a lot, you know, like- <laughs> Maybe the aforementioned Gordon Lightfoot uh, might have. Yeah, yeah, he uh, invested wisely, did his thing, and got out. I, maybe I, I bet too. He probably owned his own publishing, so like Telly Savalas covering his stuff and doing a big hit probably helped him out a lot. Yeah, hmm. and that AM Gold royalties that are still chugging in. I'm sure. I didn't realize, but like Bob Dylan sort of first got rich, not really from himself, but just other people doing his publishing. He had a good publishing deal. So every time someone, Frank Sinatra was doing his songs. Mm -hmm. So it was like, he just got some bucks every time he had a good contract. Hmm. Smart guy. Yeah. That's a good way to go. I guess leads to a career of longevity. Yeah. And then if you got a good man, a a strong arm manager, really pushing your publishing, you know, I mean, people were, would cover his songs before they came out. Yeah. You know? Well, that's uh, when you talked with Ian Matthews, which that hasn't come out yet, but that yeah, interview, yeah. but I, they obviously Fairport convention were getting songs of his that were unreleased or hadn't yeah. come out yet. And they were, was it Percy's song they did on Legion Leaf as the album, I believe. And I, you see, yeah, they do like three or four Dylan songs on that record, I think. And they were all ones that ended up on like the basement sessions and this and that. That great white wonder bootleg or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for people that are maybe just now getting into bread from listening to this, uh, how do you feel about their other records? Is this the only one that you fully back or? Well, you know, the thing is, I'll admit not every record is a hundred percent consistent. But that's the joy of the dollar bin record, right? And True. I mean, I remember me and my old bass player, we definitely had a uh, a system where we're, we'd be like, that's a good $2 record. That's a good $3. And that basically was like, it's got three or four good songs on it. Sure. You know, or whatever. So like, I, if you can handle the hits, I, I do like the first record a lot. I think it's com- really consistent, the self-titled. Yeah, I, th- I think there's gold on all their albums. Do you have any uh, overall bargain bin cruising tips for people like what, what's something you look for what's going to make you pick up a record hmm. 
That's a good question. I mean, Brett were on Elektra Records, and as we were discussing, you know, most stuff on Elektra is pretty consistent. You know, there's some duds. They did a lot of early folk stuff that some of it's not that special in my book. But I think, like, looking at labels that are, you know, like that, that are sort of very consistent and being like, I don't know what this is on that label. Or if you want to go on the next notch, you know, if you see something on a tiny label you've never heard of, that might be worth checking out too, you know, because yep. it could be something obscure and weird, but it could also just be a really bad religious record that, you know, <laughs> one thing I've also kind of learned over the years is if you don't know what the heck it is, look how many people are on the record. If there's about 20, 30 people on the record playing every instrument known to man, it's usually not good. Okay. <laughs> it's usually not what you're looking for. It's like, <laughs> oh, there's a giant horn section. Yeah. There's, 20 session music you know unless it's like a phil specter record where they wouldn't list all those people yeah, you know right. generally playing on it i've found i've put stuff back that i'm just like mm, too many people on this yeah, yeah. Some, <laughs> something i uh learned doing the janice ian episode is that i believe she was one of the first musicians that actually credited all the players yeah. on her album on in the, the liner notes in the sleeves like she was said to really buckle down on them, but then gave them credit for it. Yeah, right. She <laughs> was a, a young tyrant. <laughs> yeah. You're a big Janice Ian. Oh, tyrant. yeah, yeah. At least the first like three or four records. Yeah. And those are all still really cheap. Yeah. Everything she does goes for cheap, but it's brilliant. But we'd already, we already did an episode on her. So. <laughs> Check it out, folks. Janice Ian. She's cool. <laughs> are there any uh, instruments, if you see credit on a record, that are going to pique your interest? You know, if you see like there's an ARP or a Moog or something crazy, sure. It, sure, it could be some disco or something too, but, and it could be used very tastefully, but you know, if you see something weird, sitar, you know, something like that, mm -hmm. maybe you might, if you're looking for like weirder slash psychedelic stuff or something, which I'm not always. And we want to put this out there to our listeners now, a discussion we had before we hit record. If you know what the spherical synthesizer that I from the boredoms played <laughs> Is called, please message us at I'd buy that podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> and Steve, Plastic Crime Wave Krakow wants to know too. I want to know. <laughs> Complete, we went from bread to the boredoms. They're, they'd be filed in the collection <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah. <laughs> Was there any other stuff you did before I so rudely chopped you off earlier you wanted to mention? Oh, God. No, you weren't rude. Oh, geez. I don't know. I book some shows. I, I'm a jack of all trades, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, as I said, I, I guess I'm a freelancer. So I do a lot of illustration stuff, album covers and posters for bands. You have a Wikipedia page. You're like, I guess. you're big news, buddy. Oh, boy. Don't try oh, and yeah. dodge it. Don't play yourself down. Sometimes I'm stunned who doesn't have one. I mean, but uh, like someone who I consider. None of us. Uh, well, a lot of people I consider much more famous. I'll look up some musician and I'm like, oh, my God, they don't even have a Wikipedia page. This is criminal. And then you, know? you end all contact with them at that point, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, no, it's that's not cool. Just send them a, a one-sentence text. You How many? Me followers do they have on instagram <laughs> what it's in the three digits i'm out of here yeah. <laughs> to our listeners right now steve is actually three floors above us uh and he has glass between each floor and he looks down upon us so we're not in the same room as him but he is talking to us so and I had my publicist honored. handle everything for this whole thing too. I couldn't be bothered. That's true. She's 
across the room scowling at us right now for <laughs> it's taking even too mentioning long because uh, People Magazine's on the phone, and I, I really got to take this call, guys. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy <laughs> schedule to uh, sit down with a few Midwest Kalamazoo podcasters and talk about bread. Yeah. It's been wonderful. I mean, I, I feel like bread and soft rock in general must have been beloved in the Midwest because these records are everywhere. And I do remember my mom's light rock station, which is probably where all this comes from. That's what they used to call it. Light, light rock. rock. It wasn't yacht. It wasn't soft. It wasn't any of these sort of posthumously named things. It was light rock. Tell us uh, how you feel about America their catalog i do love america and and some people think bread in america someone i saw the other day snarky internet person was like aren't they the same band and i was like no very different. one was produced by george martin in england for christ's sakes and one was david gates in california yeah but people don't know these things i feel sorry for them but um <laughs> yeah her. my mom's white rock station wfyr the fire definitely played hella bread definitely played all america all these bands you know and again as we were saying earlier the songwriting production values quality of playing the warmth of the way it's all recorded the very cool artwork that's on a lot of these records it just can't really be made you can put it down all you want you know but yeah it is music made by real people as <laughs> someone said right yeah yes it's music made by real people for real people. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, out here in the Midwest, we need something to get us through these long, dark, bleak winters. It's true. Something comforting. Just got to give in to the light rock. Let it, let it carry you through. To the lights. Look to the light. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll cuddle up with a warm blanket of bread and uh, <laughs> light your I, You know what I personally think? If they had picked a different name, maybe they would be beloved more. I think people just, and true. I did as a youth too. I was like, bread mm -hmm. what's that that sounds so bland yeah. you know it's just i made me think of white bread and it, yeah i i think if maybe you know or people think of money or that it was crass you know yeah. it's like i think if they had just been they you know their names you they know called themselves crass yeah crass <laughs> you know or or just like the guys in the names in the band's names if it had been like gates royer griffin and bots uh, you know then it could have been a hit maybe you know but hamilton <laughs> joe frank and reynolds yeah i thought of that those guys too. i feel like they tried a lot of those because csm was so huge yeah. they were like let's get a bunch of three also ran guys who were in kind of big bands put them together and maybe they'll have a hit too <laughs> and i feel like it didn't work for too many but no. for some reason hamilton frank and reynolds boy those records are everywhere yeah totally yeah fantastic well thanks for having us in your layer far out layer here <laughs> um it's like simultaneously like anxiety inducing with all the stuff but also comforting it's very nice thank you for having us here mr oh, steve yes. i've gotten all different reactions some people say straight up anxiety <laughs> some people are like comfort you know it, it's it depends it's like the swirling of both for me when which... i leave and go out of town for a while and i come back i'm like what the hell is all this stuff in here what am i doing but you get used to it yeah, I've been looking at this magic powerhouse of Oz poster there right you above go. your head. Signed by Kenneth Anger. Yeah, oh my that's God. wild. All right, we, thanks. We, we told Jeremy before coming here that he's not allowed to mention that he hopes you never have to move. Oh, that's right. I was going to say that right when I introduced myself to you. <laughs> you forgot. 
<laughs> I hope you the, never have to move, Steve. <laughs> that is the mantra. That is a mantra I've heard many times over the years. Set your watch by it. Let's yeah. see. They've been here 30. Go. 30 yep. seconds. You got it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Is there a track you'd like to go out on? Oh, let's. Should we close on a wistful, a wistful, soft Gates number? Carry us into the breeze. Carry us into the breeze. This, you know, kind of what he would go on to do. Let's, let's do the last song on the album, The Other Side of Life. I know. I'm making you work hard and do some flipping here. So this has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name is Peter Cook. My name is Jeremy Ruggles. I'm Sean Hartman. Uh, Steve Krakow, a.k.a. Plastic Crime Wife. Pow! So as you go to find yourself Don't look too hard I buy that podcast.com. I buy that podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, Facebook. I don't want to give it an intro. I'm just going to say the things. Yeah. Like us, comment, Instagram, Facebook. No nonsense. Just right down to business. Just Spotify. <laughs> Straight, mm, uncut, dope. Apple Podcasts. Mm, thanks. I buy that for a dollar. Yep. We love you. Make yourself last till the earth.